Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, Episode 77 for February 1st, 2007. Microsoft responds. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. It's time for Security Now, everybody's favorite security podcast. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the star of our show, <laughs> Mr. Security himself, Steve Gibson. Hey, Steve. Yay! Yeah, hey, we, Leo. we need a live studio audience. Great. We need music. It'd be fun to do all that. Whistles and cat calls yeah. and things, yeah. So um, we are going to uh, address a podcast that we did a couple of episodes ago this week. Right. I wanted to, in, in all fairness, I wanted to give... Microsoft's response to Peter Gutman's white paper about Vista DRM some airtime. I, you know, since I, I was thinking, yeah, we could just tell people to go to this link, but it's like, wait a minute, this is an audio podcast. Let's audioize Microsoft's publicly posted pot, uh, blog response and discuss it because, you know, obviously Microsoft was not happy by what Peter had to say. And um, so what happened was David Marsh, who is the guy whose name I've seen on all the documentation, on all of the PowerPoint slides that are presented, he's the guy at the WinHEC conference who ex- exposes for the first time, showed my, what AACS was, how it works. I mean, this is the, he's the, you know, the main guy at the center of Vista's support for AACS. And... Um, some guy named Nick White, who's with the Vista team, he has a Vista team blog. On Saturday, January 20th, he he posted, essentially asked Dave to come up with 20 questions and answers, which, you know, basically synthetic questions, which Dave felt were being raised by Peter's um, white paper and to address those, to answer those questions. In going through them, I'm, and what I'm going to suggest is that, that you read this, Leo, and then I'll sort of react to them and tell you what I think about them. And, I mean, many of the points are very fair. And I think, you know, we're most useful to our Security Now listeners if we really work to paint a balanced picture. I mean, it's certainly it's been fun to look at the sort of, like, okay, what's the dark side of AACS, but, you know, many people are wanting to use Vista. They're going to use Vista. Many are going to have to use Vista. Or when they're buying a new PC, it'll have Vista on it, and they may not have a choice. So, you know, I, I want to back off from from overstating and also give Microsoft a chance to tell, you know, tell their story, their side of the story. So in the, this particular podcast, I'll play the role of Microsoft. <laughs> I'm Dave Marsh. And uh, shall I just start reading? And you stop me when you have something to say. How about yeah, that? I think All that's right. perfect. Uh, Dave begins, over the holidays, a paper was distributed that raised questions about the content protection features in Windows Vista. The paper draws sharp conclusions about the implications of those features for our customers. As one of the lead program managers for the technologies in question, I'd like to share our view on these questions. Windows Vista. Anything uh, from the from the uh, opposition? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) No. (laughs) Windows Vista includes content protection infrastructure specifically designed to help ensure the protected commercial audiovisual content, such as newly released HD, DVD, or Blu-ray discs, can be enjoyed on Windows Vista PCs. In many cases, this content has policies associated with its use that must be enforced by all playback devices. The policies associated with such content are applicable to all types of devices, including Windows Vista PCs, computers running non-Windows operating systems, and standalone consumer electronics devices like DVD players. If the policies required protections that Windows Vista could not support, then the content would not be able to play at all on Windows Vista PCs. Clearly, that isn't a good scenario for consumers who are looking to enjoy great next-generation content experiences on their PCs. 
Now, now certainly, you know, he raises the point. Basically, he's trying to say, we didn't create this, we didn't do this, and if we didn't offer this kind of DRM content protection, then Windows Vista PCs would not be able to play it. And, and that is absolutely true. I mean, it is the case that the way AACS works is that the content providers, through this really super powerful next-generation DRM, this digital rights management, they're able to absolutely dictate what devices are able to play. So it's only if Microsoft provides an infrastructure, which they have with Vista, which, which is sufficiently secure and provably secure, that then there's any possibility for Windows machines playing this content. So, so it's really, I mean, it's, it's uh, basically what a number of rebuttals to Peter's argument in, in Peter's own uh, website said, hey, they don't have a choice. They have to do it. Right. The, the, essentially, all Windows Vista is, is another implementation right. of AACS, much as you will have in any consumer device. There will be AACS there if that device is able to play this AACS-protected content. Peter made an argument, frankly, an argument for which I don't think he has any standing, saying, well, hey, Microsoft could have just said, we're Microsoft. We have 95% of the PC market. We're not going to do it. I mean, that's a, that's a business argument. That has nothing to do with security, and I don't know if uh, any of us are competent to say whether Microsoft could or could not do that. Well, and what, what Maybe they Microsoft... Maybe should, but... Yeah, what, what Microsoft, if Microsoft had done that, we then are faced with the question, would the... Would high-def content providers essentially have scrapped all their content protection because they're so desperate to have movies playable on personal computers? I think it's clear that that's not the case, that content providers would say, fine, if you are not going to give us a secure platform, Windows users, XP users, Vista users, any users, just like, by the way, Linux users, and I don't know where Mac is on this, but for example, Linux users are not able to play high def content either because Linux doesn't bring all of this protection that's necessary. And we are seeing the, the danger in XP users being able to play this. As we talked about last week, this Muselix 64 character is using now a known play, a, a known plain text attack on, on, on the encryption used with this content. So, Again, if Microsoft had said, we're not going to play ball, then I think it's very clear that Windows Vista would not be able to play high-def content. Um, so I will continue on here. Yep. Associating usage policies with commercial content is not new to Windows Vista or to the industry. In fact, much of the functionality discussed in the paper has been part of previous versions of Windows and has not resulted in significant consumer problems, as evidence. Okay, now, now, okay, now, now stop there. Whoa, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. In fact, much of the functionality discussed in the paper has been par- has been part of previous versions of Windows. That's not okay, true. that's just that's absolutely not true. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, if I, I will defend David's need to have this in Vista because there's no other way if Vista is going to be able to apply uh, to play HD DVDs, it's he cannot say that much of the functionality discussed in the paper, because, I mean, the paper was all about the the bad parts of DRM in Vista, none of, the, you know, the happy news. Well, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I mean he, he could say, you know, okay, so there was a random number generator. I mean, you, I guess you could say some sort of root technologies were there, but none of, but there wasn't an AACS layer. We I mean, had no tilt bits, and we no had tip, no yeah, in, yeah. In, in, encrypted video path right, and all that right, other stuff. Right. No, so, I mean, I'm sorry. He says, uh, continues on, as evidenced by the widespread consumer use of digital media in Windows XP, in other words, no consumer problems. For example, standard definition DVD playback has required selective use of Macrovision ACP on analog television and outputs since it was introduced in the 1990s. DVD playback on and in Windows has always supported this. I guess he's saying earlier generation forms of copy protection, uh, like Macrovision. Uh, he also goes on to say the ability to restrict audio outputs, for example, SPDIF for certain types of content has been available since Windows Millennium, Millennium Edition and has been available in all subsequent versions of Windows. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. The Certified Output Protection Protocol, COP, was released over two years ago for Windows XP and provides applications with the ability to detect output types and enable certain protections 
on video outputs like HDCP, CGMS-A, and Macrovision ACP. So he's pointing out, look, there's been copy protection technologies in Windows all along. And they haven't, like, been a big problem for consumers. Nobody's blown their stack saying, my SPDIF won't work because, uh, although uh, uh, Macrovision has caused problems all along, but. Oh, and it always will. I mean, it's just a a yucky analog uh, technology that messes up what should be a good video signal. You you can't really say people aren't upset about Macrovision. Right. Uh, He goes on, I'm again quoting, uh, just just so this is clear, uh, this isn't me talking, this is... uh, uh, D- uh, uh, Dave's uh, response. He's the lead. Dave Marsh is the lead program manager for Windows Video Handling, and this is his blog response to Peter Goodman's article. Uh, he goes on to say, "Quote: It's important to emphasize that while Windows Vista has the necessary infrastructure to support commercial content ser- scenarios, this infrastructure is designed to minimize impact on other types of content and other activities on the same PC." That was one of Peter's big contentions: is that the whole PC suffers for this. For example, well, and I got to say, uh, yeah, I, I have to say, Leo, that anecdotally, we are, we don't really know why yet, but people are reporting Vista is not as good a media platform as XP. I've seen a lot of posts in my news groups and elsewhere where where someone is, has has upgraded themselves to Vista, got it all running, done some stuff, just playing non-protected content on Vista. And the picture stutters. It, it it's jerky. It's it's not looking nearly as good as as XP was. Then they'll they'll fall back to XP, and it's working much more smoothly. So I mean, it may very well be that there is some some impact to this. Unfortunately, even when playing non protected content, and it's it's going to be systemic right. throughout the all of Windows Vista. I should, I mean, to be fair, point out it could just be suboptimal drivers. Uh, now Vista is just now out, but uh, Microsoft's been optimizing drivers in the entire time since uh, since December or November when uh, when Vista RTM came out. So right. it could very. There are lots of reasons for it. I think it's, it's early right. to say what the case is, whether it's a problem or not. Um, he gives an example. If a user were reviewing medical imagery concurrently with playback of video, which required image constraint, only the commercial video would be constrained, not the medical image or other things on the user's desktop. Similarly, if someone was listening to the commercial audio content while viewing medical imagery, none of the video protection mechanisms would be activated at all, and the displayed images would again be unaffected. And of course, that was one example that Peter gave of somebody listening to protected audio, a, a some med- medical image processing guy who was and Peter was concerned that the fact that there was he, he said that that the system was all or nothing was his reading. And, I, and I'm sure Peter believed that that was the case. So I think this is a, a case of a clear mistake um, in in, you know, the way the system works, understanding the documents. I mean, I have to say, too, that, I mean. From what I saw, what Peter stated was entirely believable and reasonable. So David is putting to rest that concern that if any protected content is anywhere in the system, then the whole system locks itself into paranoia mode and, like, you know, uh, makes the screens blurry and so forth. Clearly, that's not the case. Well, as anybody who's ever read specs and designed software will, will, will absolutely agree with, the software doesn't always reflect what the specs say. Uh, right. It may have been the intent. It may have not been the intent, but uh, it's perfectly possible that the documents read one way and the software does something else. That's a very good point. Contrary to claims made in the paper, the content protection mechanisms do not make Windows Vista PCs less reliable than they would be otherwise. If anything, they have the opposite effect. For example, because they will lead to better driver quality control. Uh, that's certainly, if at best, that's an unsupportable it's a statement. It's a spin. Yeah, let's face it. I mean, it. that 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 one's really hard to get behind. The it's the certainly we're talking about much more complexity. Um, it is the case, though, that certain classes of mistakes—that is, the sorts of mistakes that would lead to a driver leaking content—that'll that's something that any driver author will have, you know, a real concern not to uh, allow to happen. So, so I mean, basically, Microsoft is, through this, is raising the stakes on errors by forcing driver makers to make sure that they just, you know, essentially creating a much greater penalty if there is a problem. So you could say, well, that's going to lead to better drivers. 
It's like, well, let's let history determine whether that's the case. <laughs> it could also lead to more crashes. We, we yeah. just don't know yet. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, we've raised our standards, uh, you know, we've, we, uh, well, it's not exactly what they were doing. They're saying we're, we're making it much less tolerant of faults. Yeah. Well, now I was just going to say we have these tilt bits all over the right. place. And it's like, well, let's hope those don't go off. The, uh, going on to quote Dave, the paper implies that Microsoft decides which protection should be active at any given time. This is not the case. The content protection infrastructure in Windows Vista provides a range of a la carte options that allows applications playing back protected content to properly enable the protections required by the policies established for such content by the content owner service provider. In this way, the PC functions the same as any other consumer electronics device. With that introduction, here are the top 20 questions and answers, so we'll go on to those. Yeah, I think that's fair. I did, although I, I have to say, I did not read what 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 Dave is suggesting in Peter's paper. He, uh, he says the paper implies that Microsoft decides which protection should be active. I don't, I, I didn't get that impression. So so he's he's disabusing us of something that I don't think Peter said. I think it's very clear that Microsoft facilitates whatever protection the content provider wishes to have their provide it makes this what an operating system uh, provider does they provide a platform with yep. with the, the technologies that are required and then the playback device decides which ones it wants to take advantage of exactly all right now this is uh, probably where you wanted me to start reading but anyway no no i'm glad we did that i'm, okay. I'm glad we have a foundation there and so we have 20 questions and answers and i have to just say that i mean i've read all this already and i think we'll see that some of these questions are questions Dave wanted to ask so that he could answer them. They're not necessarily they're not necessarily things that a, a, a fair reader of Peter's paper would have come away believing or being concerned about. All right. Um, here we go. Do these con- question one. So again, Dave Marsh, this is him posing a question. Do these content protection requirements apply equally? Do the consumer electronics industry supplied player devices such as an HD, DVD, or Blu-ray player? He answers, generally the requirements are equivalent for all devices. For example, an HD, DVD, or Blu-ray disc always requires HDCP protection for the DVI, HDMI outputs, regardless of the type of device playing the disc. There are some cases, uh, such as DVD video, where PCs have slightly different protection requirements than CE devices. But these differences are mainly historical and as dictated by the licenses associated with the systems providing access to the content. For example, CSS for DVD. So he's right. saying and basically, think, yes, they, they have the yes, same Yes, I, I think that's and I think that's completely fair. Yeah. Essentially, we're you know, Windows Vista becomes an HD or Blu-ray high def content player, just like you could yeah. buy off the shelf. The subtext is hey, we're just like everybody else, we're just doing what we have to. Exactly. Question two, when are Windows Vista's content protection features actually used? He answers, Windows Vista content protection mechanisms are only used when required by the policy associated with the content being played. For Windows Vista experiences, if the content does not require a particular protection, that protection mechanism is not used. And I think that's, again, uh, very fair and, and you know a, a balanced appraisal. It's not like Microsoft is is adding DRM where it wasn't, well, where it didn't exist before, and they're, they're not basically constraining the channel that the content provider has not required be constrained. And part of the, the power and flexibility of AACS is that there is such a strong capability for, for usage policy to be bound in with the content. And so, again, this is just, just being a... a a fair playback device, and if it weren't, it wouldn't be allowed to be a playback device at all. Right. Makes sense. Will the playback, is this question three? Yeah, question three. Will yeah. the playback quality be reduced on some video output types? Im- image quality constraints, David says, are only active when required by the policy associated with the content being played, and then only apply to that specific content, not to any other content on the user's desktop. This is that medical imaging imaging example. As a practical matter, image constraint will typically result in content being played at no worse than standard definition television resolution. In the case of HD optical media formats, HD, DVD, and Blu-ray, 
the constraint requirements is 520k pixels per frame, i.e. roughly 960 by 540. That's still higher than the native resolution of content distributed in the DVD video format. We feel this still yields a great user experience, even when using a high-definition screen. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think again that that's an absolute fair and accurate rendition of what's really going on. You can imagine that a laptop user who had an HD DVD drive in his laptop, you know, buys it because he wants to be able to to watch movies on his laptop mm-hmm. and I'm I'm there and so he would have to have Vista he would not be able to do this with XP cuz XP doesn't provide this so Vista integrated in with a laptop that that's got an integrated LCD screen and drive it's simply going to be an HD or Blu-ray DVD player it it's going to work actually now, a little better cuz it's it's 520p instead of 480p yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. not substantially, but yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's actually, not what, but that's not what Peter asserted. I mean, Peter was saying it would really go down in quality below 480. Uh, no, actually, I think that I think Peter was talking about the 520k pixel oh, frame. Okay. He did. He he just didn't like the idea that that there was this artificial constraint imposed by Windows. And again, Dave is saying, wait a minute, this is not our imposition. And, and then it's true that, the, again, the content provider says, if you're not going to provide digital encryption all the way to the screen, where it finally jumps out off the screen and travels by you know, light into the user's eyeballs, then you must provide the following constriction. So again, Windows is simply enforcing the policy that the content provider has bound in with the content. And, I mean, so, yes, the content provider could say, we want it to look really smeary, 200K pixels or 100K pixels. Again, Microsoft has no control over that. So David is is assuming that the content provider is not going to ask for something blurrier than 520K uh, pixels per frame. So we they don't could. Really know, we don't, yes, we don't really know that. Okay. Will this affect things like medical imagery applications? David answers, image constraints only apply to protected content being played and not to the desktop as a whole. Therefore, if the resolution of other non-protected media, such as medical images, is not affected. Right. Good. And so, so That's great. Clearly, so clearly, if you're running your medical imaging utility in a window and you also have high def playing in another window on your screen... The high def video constraint may cause that to be blurred, but not a, a separate window running on the same system, which is displaying, you know, completely crisp, non, non resolution, um, lowered images. So, you know, it's it's, incl- it's certainly possible for Windows to do that, and David is asserting that's the way it works. I would be surprised if it did not. Yeah, he's he's actually so adamant in this assertion. Yep. Uh, I think we can trust that that's the case. Yep. Uh, otherwise, uh, that would cast this entire document into doubt. Well, and there's no reason for it not to be. I mean, right. you can. I've, I've looked at as the long architecture. As they can do it. That's the yes. case, right? I've looked at the architecture, and it's clear from their diagrams that they have the ability to to just protect a certain path of video through the system, separate from all others. Uh, do things such as HFS, hardware functionality scan, affect the ability of the open source community to write a driver? And this is another one of uh, Peter's very strong uh, criticisms. Yep. Yep. He says, uh, David says, no. HFS uses additional chip characteristics other than those needed to write a driver. HFS requirements should not prevent the disclosure of all the information needed to write drivers. Just to recap, Peter said, that there has to be some secret sauce in every driver that cannot be opened publicly. Uh, that's kind of a requirement of the content protection. So Dave said, no, but you still can expose everything you need to know. Yes, exactly. So he's coming at it in, in the classic sort of black hat, white hack fashion, by which I mean you're able to look at one thing and spin it in two different directions, depending upon you know what's, what, what's best for you. So Peter was saying that you cannot completely document the hardware or it would be possible for someone to write a software emulator for that hardware and and fake out 
the system to believe that what they had written in software was actually protected hardware where it wouldn't be. And Dave is coming at it from the other side saying, well, okay, but having um, it is necessary not to disclose everything in order to allow the hardware functionality scan to verify the hardware. But he's saying, even though it's necessary not to disclose everything, it's not necessary that everything be disclosed in order to write fully functional drivers. And so I agree with him. You have to rely on, uh, I mean, I mean, as always, if you're going to write an open source driver, you just have to hope that the company that made the hardware is exposing everything you need to know. And that's always been a, a crapshoot. Right. Well, the Vista content protection. So I guess if a hardware company really wants an open source driver, in other words, they can expose enough information to make that possible. Exactly. And they can still keep some things private right. that that will not be part of that open source driver that will not hurt the driver's ability to function while still giving them the leverage they need of making sure that their driver cannot be emulated by software. Uh, he goes on, will the Vista Content Protection Board robustness recommendations? Oh, meaning the AACS, for example. Okay. Will the Vista Content Protection Board robustness recommendations increase the cost of graphics cards and reduce the number of build options? He responds, everything was moving to be integrated on the one chip anyway, and this is independent uh -huh. of content protection recommendations, given that cost, particularly chip cost, is most heavily influenced by volume, it is actually better to avoid making things optional through the use of external chips. It is a happy side. Uh, <laughs> it is a happy side effect that this technology trend here. also reduces the number of vulnerable tracks on the board. Yeah. Okay. That's that, that's another <laughs> spin. <laughs> that's a big, big fat spin. That's a big spin. I mean, he was certainly feeling defensive. That is, Dave Marsh was feeling defensive against the allegation that that hardware needed to be changed. That, for example, you couldn't have a, a hardware board that didn't have some components on it, which was leaving traces unused that could, where, where you might have content leaking out of those traces. Well, my feeling is this is not something that David ought to try defending. He, I mean, he asked the question, so I guess he wanted to answer it. Unfortunately, his answer is not very convincing in this case. Right. I mean, it is the case that in order to have a system and this was our original premise, Leo, when you and I first talked about this, is, you know, essentially adding AACS and this level of DRM is a heavy impact to Windows. But it's not just software, it's hardware, because, of course, a deliverable solution is both hardware and software. So if you're going to protect the software, it does no good not to protect the hardware. So Microsoft, that only makes the software, is trying to defend the need to also protect the hardware. I don't think this is Microsoft's problem. So again, this is why I don't think David Net needed to address this. I agree, however, that it would be much more convenient for board makers, just as Peter said, to have the option of populating the boards just as they do now with those components they choose to. I don't know that since everything is moving toward one chip argument really holds at all. So... I think we need to sort of discount that one. Yeah, <laughs> It's like Martha Stewart saying, it's a good thing. <laughs> Will Windows Vista content protection features increase CPU resource consumption? Another uh, contention of Peter Gutman. Yep. Uh, Dave, as he said, it's going to slow everything down because this system has to 30 times a second be checking for uh, piracy. Oh, and, and not only that, Leo, but if you're using an external video card as power users want to, that, that cross-bus encryption, you're, you're needing to encrypt... At at high bandwidth rates, that's a huge burden on the system. Yeah. Uh, and he says, yes. <laughs> David says, output content protections are not new requirements for commercial. I'm sorry. Sorry. Read the wrong one. He said, yes. <laughs> Stay the same answer. Yes. However, the use of additional CPU cycles is inevitable. As the uh, PC provides consumers with additional functionality. Hey, it's additional functionality. You're getting additional <laughs> functionality. Windows Vista's content protection features were developed to carefully balance the need to provide robust protection from commercial content. I don't think he means from commercial content. I think he means for commercial content. While still 
enabling great new experiences such as HD DVD or Blu-ray playback. Of course, if I don't have an HD DVD player or a Blu-ray player, is it still going to eat those CPU cycles even though I can't? No. And so so here again. So... Okay, okay, first of all, this was a total spin answer. So, you know, well, he, sorry at least he said that. yes. Yeah, at least he didn't yeah, deny it's, okay. it's going to use more CPU resources. Good point. Um, uh, the, and, and, and there's no way Microsoft had a choice. That is, they had to run encryption at high bandwidth rate across the bus in order not to allow a bus probe to simply grab the high def video. Right. So they're having to encrypt from the dr- from the driver to the display card hardware across the bus, which requires very high speed. In fact, it's so high speed that AES, the encryption that's used throughout this, is unable to keep up. Intel had to come up with an abbreviated cascading AES to be fast enough for har- for software to be able to do this on the fly. What I think we're going to find is that a system which is playing high-def content probably cannot really do anything else. It's going to pin the processor until, well, I don't see any, any, any way of not saying it's just going to pin the processor. I mean, it's not like, and so, that, so that's something very different about not playing high-def content. So it's not always going to pin the processor. It's only when it's playing high-def content that requires that the hardware bus be encrypted. That's such a burden on the system. That's probably all you're going to be able to do. On the other hand, that's probably all anybody wants to do. If you're playing high-def content, you're in movie-watching mode. You're probably right. not trying to write letters home at the same right. time. Well, you better not be. And you may not be able to. Or maybe you could do email. Although, but, you know. I, see, I think part of the contention was it, it, it also uh, uses up CPU resources even when you're not watching content, right? No, absolutely. It well, okay. Yeah, it's, it really seems like, and that's a little bit in the spec gray area, as though as though only the things that are required are being brought to bear by Microsoft. And certainly when you're not playing protected content, you're not having your bus encrypted because there's just no one asking for it. So it would be nuts for Microsoft to leave this this really high overhead stuff on all the time. Uh, Therefore, I'm sure they're not. It's smart enough to say, oh, well, you're not playing on DVD, so we won't use your CPU. Right. Okay. Um. Let's see. Aren't there already output content protection features in Windows XP? I don't think anybody's asking this question. but I don't think there's a perfect example of a question that nobody asked. <laughs> he chooses to answer anyway. <laughs> but let, but, but let, wait but let, a minute. Aren't there already these things in XP? Uh, yes, he says. Well, really? Output content protections are not new requirements for commercial content. The CSS content protection system for DVD video discs requires output protections such as Macrovision ACP, and limiting the resolution on component video outputs on standard definition. Windows XP has supported these requirements for some time. Which is really interesting, because I have never, ever heard of any resolution limitation. I mean, I've never seen an API or a spec or anything that indicated there was resolution constraint happening on component video outputs. That's... News to me. I mean, I'm going to take David as word because he's the expert on this. But again, nobody was really asking. <laughs> and if you ever ask, we've got the answer. Um, is content protection something that is tied to high definition video? He answers, while HD content has some unique content protection requirements, many of the requirements apply to commercial content generally independent of resolution. Okay. Who asked this question? Uh, <laughs> and what does it have to do with the subject at hand? Uh, exactly. What's Good the question. point? There must be a reason he brought this up. Is it? Per- oh, I, I guess. The, it, okay. Is content protection something that is tied to high definition video? The idea being, is this all just about high definition video? And he's saying, no, no, no. There's, you know, uh, streaming video. There's, you know, audio yeah, okay. can ask for it. Right. You know, blah blah blah. We're just a big happy DRM platform. Yeah, yeah. We'll not, provide it for anybody. Anybody who wants, it. wants it. In fact, he goes on to ask, what about SPDIF audio connections? And answers his own question. Windows Vista does not require SPDIF to be turned off. But Windows Vista continues to support the ability to turn it off for certain content, a capability that has been present in Windows for many years. Additionally, in order to support the requirements of some types of content, Windows Vista supports the ability to constrain the quality of the audio component of that content. 
in other words, like image uh, constraint. Similar to exactly, you're able to make it yeah. muddy. Similar to image constraint for video, this quality constraint only applies to the audio from content whose policy requires the constraint, not to any other audio being played concurrently on the system. As a practical matter, these audio restrictions are not widely used today. So I guess it sounds like the audio could be downsampled, huh. and you know it's resolution limited in the same way that they're able to do with video if that's what the content provider says they want. And he does point out, and I think this is important, nobody's doing this. In fact, right. nobody's doing it in, in, in video yet either, as far as I can tell. Right. So this is all kind of, you know, could be, might be. Will component, that's the uh, YPBPR, what is that, uh, chromium red, and I can never remember the blue. Yeah. Anyway, you know which ones we're talking about. The component RGB. video outputs be disabled by video, Windows Vista under uh, content protection. Similar to SPIDIF, Windows Vista does not require component video outputs to be disabled, but rather enables the enforcement of the usage policy set by content owners or service providers, including with respect to output restrictions and image constraints. So so, so he's saying it's not our fault that we allow might, yeah. SPDIF to be disabled, but we or have component. to allow it. Yes, we have uh, yeah, a component or, or SPDIF, right. Uh, we're, you know, it's not our fault that we, uh, that, uh, we allow it to be turned off. We have to make it disableable in order to satisfy the demands of the content providers. So again, they're just sort of being the middleman between the content providers and the end user. Which, you know, is fair. Sure, it's fair. Yeah. If you want that sort of thing. <laughs> if you want that sort of thing. <laughs> um, will Echo... Actually, that's really for... Uh, probably for uh, things like set-top boxes. Cable cable companies might turn off component uh, and force you to use HDMI if, they're, if you're watching HD content, things like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Will Echo cancel... So I guess Windows Media Center would have to do the same. Will Echo cancellation work less well for premium content? We believe, I don't even know what echo cancellation is. We'll find out. He responds, we believe that Windows Vista provides applications with access to sufficient information to successfully build high quality echo cancellation functionality. What's he talking the, about? The reason this is an issue is that the way echo, echo cancellation functions is by feeding back into the echo cancellation circuit some of the output to feed it. You feed it back in sort of like 180 degrees out of phase in order to to cancel it sending itself back up the line. Peter made the point that if audio was being constrained, then the echo cancellation system would inherently be less effective because it wouldn't be able to to perfectly match the the essentially the echo signal, which it would otherwise be. And so David is saying, don't worry about it. It still works. It's like, okay, we'll see. Glad, glad to know that. And also, it's worth noting that that if what Microsoft is saying and that there would only be audio constraint for protected content, one wonders why you would ever have echo cancellation happening for protected content. You would typically have it for VOIP, for example, when two people are talking. You want echo cancellation so that they, you know, so that you're not hearing yourself at the you know coming back the other end, but you know. A, a normal dialogue between people over a VOIP call, that's not going to be protected content. Therefore, there would be no artificial constriction to the audio. So I do think that Peter was raising a theoretical point that would, in fact, never affect anybody in the real world. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, will it mean there will... This is actually a direct response to a question or a, something, a statement in uh, Peter's article will it mean that we'll no longer be unified graphics drivers peter said that's it for unified graphics drivers here's david's response the windows vista's content protection requirements for graphics drivers will not leave to move lead to movement away from unified drivers in fact all graphic drivers shipped with windows vista are unified drivers well there you go yeah i mean it, it's interesting though because what what remember that peter's point was if you had a, a single driver which covered a broad range of cards with different capabilities. If a HD card were found to need its driver revoked, since you had a unified driver, then you would be revoking a huge set of cards. That is, you'd be revoking all drivers that because you had a single unified driver that was covering your whole line of cards. So he was saying this would force manufacturers to do per-car drivers 
rather than unified drivers. So I don't think Dave has really addressed that issue at all. He says, well, Windows Vista, you know, is using unified drivers and they're just fine. It's like, yeah, well, let's hope that none of them are ever revoked because then, then you know, whole families of cards will die en masse. So it's he's not saying there's no technical reason you can't do a unified graphics driver. It's just it might not be a good idea. Apparently, Microsoft doesn't think that's ever going to happen, this mass revocation. It really do, it does it's sound not, like that's the case. Or, likely. and I think we'll see that if they, you know, they're hoping and assuming they would always be able to replace a, a driver that is soon to be revoked with a, a new driver that would have then different keys and would fix the problem that was that went wrong with a bad driver. And after that, that you know, so so that essentially the replacement would arrive before the revocation of the prior version. Okay, right. <laughs> so in other words, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> You'll get a new version before they make your old one not work. Yeah. yeah. Will Windows Vista audio content protection mean that HDMI outputs can't be shown as SPDIF outputs? Will Windows Vista audio content protection mean that HDMI outputs, HDMI carries audio, can't be shown as SPDIF outputs? Yeah, yeah. Apparently in the UI, it actually shows the, you know, HDMI is looks video. Looks like SPDIF. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Dave says, it's better if they show as different codec types, as it allows the difference to be reflected in the UI, thus providing the user help with their configuration and creating a better user experience. The user, the user, yeah, wants to know the difference between HDMI and SPDIF as they are different physical connectors. It's like, okay, I don't know why we I, care about this. I one. don't even know. Maybe, he's, <laughs> I don't know. okay. Next question. What is revocation and where is it used? Now, here's a good question. Dave responds, renewal and revocation mechanisms are an important part of providing robust protection for commercial audiovisual content. Sounds like he's quoting the MPAA. In the rare event that a revocation is required, Microsoft will work with the affected IHV, that's the hardware guy, the guy who built the card that's going to be revoked. Independent hardware vendor, right. To ensure that a new driver is made available, ideally in advance of the actual revocation. That's what you were saying. Exactly. Uh, revocation only impacts a graphics driver's ability to receive certain commercial audiovisual content. Otherwise, the revoked driver will continue to function normally. So your card still works. You just won't be able to watch HD DVDs. And now, now that's huge, big news. Yes. Because the the pres I mean, that's a really important point that I want to make sure everyone got is that Peter's paper, and we all just kind of went along with it without thinking about it, presumed or stated that the driver would be revoked and all of those drivers would no longer function. And David is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. No, all we're doing is we're revoking the high def capability of the driver you can still watch non-high-def movies even and your desktop will work and everything else will work so he's i mean it's like when, when you hear it, it's like oh duh of course that's the way it would and should work so it's not like no one's computers are going to work anymore it's just that if if there isn't a replacement already on your system and you are hit with revocation, you lose the ability to play high-def content. You don't lose anything else about your driver's ability to function, which I think is, again, a really important point to make. Yeah, and of course, we've said a couple of times, it doesn't seem likely revocation will ever happen. Um, however, uh, you can't assume it's not going to. It's built in, uh, you know, so you have to assume at some point it's in there. Use it. There's it's also the there. issue of what if, a you know, and this Peter raised, now I don't see it, maybe we'll get to it. Uh, it sounds like you have to continue to pay your dues to this organization, this whatever organization's doing this, to continue to be certified. In other words, you could be revoked not because you cracked content for protection, but just because you didn't pay your dues, which I, means if you went out of business, uh, you could be revoked. But so, but this, the good news is revocation, at least according to Dave, doesn't mean the thing stops working. It just means it can't play high-end content. And I think there's another perfect example of a nightmare scenario that's very unlikely to occur right, right. certainly the 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 mpaa or the content provider the aacs organization they could revoke anyone's licenses they wanted to at any time i would be surprised if somebody choosing not to renew their license would automatically force the revocation of their right. earlier license i mean that's you know okay they had the capability to do so i think it's a real stretch to presume that they're there that they therefore would right. i think somebody could just say i don't you know we're going out of business we've got you know a hundred thousand graphics cards out there as long as those aren't breached 
then I would imagine they would continue to function. The, the danger would be if revocation was then necessary, the manufacturer was out of business, Microsoft did not have the source code in order to fix the driver themselves, and then users of that of those cards of the company that went out of business whose drivers were revoked for playing high-def content, they'd be in bad shape. You know, it may not be so academic. I think uh, because of Musilix 64's work, yeah. um, it may well be that some of these keys get leaked out and revocation. We'll see. I mean, it's going to be just a matter of time before keys for some of these cards are leaked out. I, 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 explain this to me, but I, I, this is how I understand it, that each video card or playback mechanism has its unique key. And in order to use the uh, AACS Unprotect software that Musilix has written, you need the key for the card you have. Uh, yeah, the, 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 a simplified way of of describing it is is as follows. Imagine that there's a a huge there, there's a universe of of keys that will ever be used, and so the the titles the titles decryption key is encrypted with every different key possible and it's put on the disk so what happens is your player decrypts its specific matching key which is on the disk and that allows it to to determine the the the, decrypt, the decryption key for the title but if the disk no longer contains the an encrypted version of the key for the player's key, then there's no way it can decrypt the title key. Yeah. I really didn't simplify anything, did well, it? Well, okay. <laughs> now so everyone now talk. everyone's confused. No, that made sense. So let's talk practically. Okay, so in order to use Musilix 64's unencryption technique, you have to get the key for your playback device. Let's say somebody online starts distributing these keys. Now nobody has yet, at least to my knowledge. I'm sure in some private areas they are. But let's say these keys start getting distributed. Well, at that point. Wouldn't these keys get revoked? Yes. Well, those particular disks are now forever cracked. That is, you can certainly imagine that there will be a cracking site that will that will start listing the the decryption keys for oh. all the disks that have been cracked. So they're so, giving so out those, keys for the disk, though, not for the hardware. Yes, for and, and what's called the the title. It, it's called a title. But key. it doesn't have and, to match your hardware card. Egg. Well, yeah, exactly. Then, okay. then the title, the title key would allow you to decrypt the digital content and then play it anywhere you want on it. Any, on any device. Okay, so yep. this and is, the title keys are already leaking. Yes, I They're shouldn't have brought already, this up. Then this doesn't have anything to do with the hardware, hardware revocation. Right. Um, well, okay. Going back to uh, revocation, he says, does this complicate the process of writing graphics drivers? In other words, kind of dividing the high, high, the premium content playback into a separate section that can be revoked from the regular content playback, which cannot be revoked. Uh, Dave responds, adding new functionality usually introduces new complexity. In this case, additional complexity is added to the graphics driver, but that complexity comes with the direct consumer benefit of new scenarios, <laughs> such as <laughs> HD DVD or Blu-ray playback. Basically, the answer is yes. Yes, it's going to be more complex, but it had to be. It had to be. You're playing back new, yeah. new, new content. Yep, um, it, but it does mean that the driver, uh, manu the, the hardware manufacturers and the driver authors are going to have to be aware of this, cognizant of this, and that to keep their cards working after revocation, should revocation yes. happen. Good point. Question: Will the tilt bit mechanism cause problems even when the driver is not under attack from a hacker? For instance, there are voltage spikes, and this is something we really talked about with Peter. Uh, voltage fluctuations are a constant in the PC hardware world. Wouldn't that set a tilt bit? Dave answers. It is pure speculation to say that things like voltage fluctuations might cause a driver to think it's under attack from a hacker. It is up to a graphics IHV manufacturer to determine what they regard as an attack. Even if such an event did cause playback to stop, the user could just press play again and carry on watching the movie after the driver is reinitialized, which takes about a second. Now remember that this check, these tilt bits are set every 30, 30 times a second, right? So, yes, there, every 30 milliseconds, there's a scan done. Basically, um, you could be pressing that space bar a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, again, it's important to note that this could only occur in the case of watching the highest grade premium content, such as HD, DVD, or Blu-ray. In practice, I doubt it would ever happen. Well, we don't know. Yeah. 
and we're not going to know until, you know, it would be annoying if it took you three hours to get through a two-hour movie. <laughs> you have to keep pressing the space uh, That would be a problem. <laughs> it's time uh, to get a new power supply. It seems like uh, a, a card manufacturer would try to avoid that particular scenario. Especially now. Especially but, now that it's had so much attention. It. They're not going to have any tilt bits on, on their power lines. Right. But there may be other issues. I mean, we, you know, anyway. All right. Yeah, I'd I'd love to hear what Peter said about this one because I got the strong impression from Peter that that's the kind of thing cards have to look for. That kind of voltage modulation is one way hackers might attack these discs. Well, I, I think, if, frankly, I think what Peter was offended by from from the from a purist standpoint, the idea that that Windows requires maximum robustness in order to survive out in the real world anyway. That you're going to have voltage fluctuations. You're 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 plugging USB and FireWire devices in. You know, it's like there's just a lot going on, and so Windows needs every benefit of the doubt in order to be as reliable as it is. And so what this does is this deliberately removes every benefit of the doubt, so that if 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 there is any doubt, a tilt bit gets set and Windows resets its whole graphics display system. So again, we won't really know until this has been out for a while. And, and I think Peter was mostly concerned about this, you know, the idea that rather than, that, that we're switching from a b- benefit of the doubt to allowing no doubt whatsoever. Right. You know who I'd really love to hear from and who could best answer these last few questions is a video card manufacturer. I mean, they're the ones who well, have to deal it, with this in the real world. And in fact, Peter quotes ATI throughout his his presentation talking about all of the cost which gets passed on to right. the consumer and that was a big issue in, in in his original white paper was that yes this is all more complex no more unified drivers no more unified hardware you know it's going to raise the cost of the consumer especially having to do massive sorts of decryption in the hardware of the card itself now if it's going to be a, a plug-in card on a bus Another question. Does Windows Vista's use of OMAC authenticated communication, OMAC, uh, impact graphics driver performance? Dave answers, the authentic, authenticated communication mechanisms used for protected video path in Windows Vista are only actively used while commercial content is playing. That means that while there's a performance impact, it's limited to the scenarios where it's required to provide robust protection for commercial content. Just as you said, it ain't going to slow you down unless you're watching it high def movie and in that case what the heck are you doing doing anything else yep and it's i mean given what we know now it's probably going to slow you down a lot but again you know it's, it's going to suck up the it's very busy. It's, busy it's a lot it's very busy i'm working here uh do content protection requirements mean that graphics chips have to provide hardware acceleration for video decode dave says no the windows vista content protection requirements do not require that graphics hardware include hardware acceleration for a decode for many years but such support is highly recommended to improve the user experience for hd content yeah i again this is one where huh? where it's not microsoft's trying to defend something which is really not theirs to defend the, you know the answer is is certainly yes the more power your graphics card has the less power the the, the less power you need from the rest of the system in order to do your decoding so but but again it's it's high def itself which is is going to be a, a substantially greater burden on the system than you know playing a, a standard you know youtube video in a small window which is just not going to take much of your system's power so again it's it's microsoft sort of saying you know defending something that's really not their problem but you know, which which is a, just a consequence of a PC being turned into a high def media platform. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, again, I don't know if anybody's been asking that question, but now we know. The I don't think so. Will the video and audio content protection mechanisms affect gaming on the PC? This might be the question I hear most often asked. Dave says the Windows Vista, Vista content protection features were designed for commercial audiovisual content and are typically not used in game applications. A game author would have to specifically request these features for them to impact game performance. In other words, it's turned off when you're gaming. Yes. So you don't need it. It's, well, it's turned off anytime and always when it's not specifically needed for creating protection from the media to your eyeballs. And so we can assume that this won't affect gaming. What we don't know 
and this may be, you know, patches and service packs away, is whether Vista is going to be a smooth and powerful gaming platform. Again, there are anecdotal reports saying that Vista is not nearly as good at this today as XP has been. But again, it's not even released yet. We don't know. It actually, as we yeah. do, as we do this podcast, uh, it has not been released. By the time you hear this, it will have been out for ah. a couple of days. Uh, right. It's going to be a month or two before really we know. And it's, you know, some of this might have more to do with DirectX nine and ten uh, than any. I mean, you know, there's this is a whole new platform. Uh, DirectX right. ten changes everything. So I mean, it's hard to know what to blame if things are slower or not as reliable. Well, I'm glad we did this, Leo. I'm oh, glad yeah. we ran ran through these questions because, you know, there were some points that David brought up that I think, you know, did clarify some things that were big concerns from what Peter brought up. And, you know, it does sound like Microsoft is feeling painted into a corner by this. And, and I think it's it's unfair because, you know, they had the choice of allowing Vista to be a a, a DRM content delivery platform or not. On the other hand, this does make me less excited about moving to it than I would have been otherwise, although I wasn't moving to it anyway. Yeah, I mean, he's reassured us on a number of things. You know, you don't have to, copy protection won't affect the whole system, just the high-def content playback. And, you know, I mean, I think that in many ways this is reassuring. And frankly, you know, I ha- you, do, you always have the feeling when we're talking about this stuff that we might be kind of overreacting. And uh, it's just it's hard to say what it's going to mean until it actually comes out and people are using it. Well, and if, in fact, he's right about there being quality restriction and and macrovision protection and other things already in XP, it's worth noting that the XP doesn't seem to be giving anyone a lot of trouble. Certainly, though, it's not the case that XP has anything like this massive redesign, which has been perpetrated for the purpose of allowing AACS, you know, essentially policy to be pushed through all the way to the end user right right we'll just have to wait and see we'll find yep. out i mean it's a it's certainly a worthwhile discussion it's a fascinating discussion and it, you can imagine i mean over the last two or three years that uh, there's been a lot of talk back and forth between microsoft and hollywood and and vendors uh, these ihvs uh, you know this is not an Im- easy thing to implement steve it's not an easy thing to explain you do a great job i thank you so much we thank our sponsors, the Astaro Security uh, Gateway folks, for uh, providing us with uh, support to make the wherewithal to make this uh, podcast a reality. We couldn't do it without them. If you are looking for a superior protection from spam, from viruses, from hackers, complete VPN capabilities, intrusion protection, content filtering, an industrial strength firewall, and now new encryption capabilities as well, all in a single, easy-to-use, high-performance appliance, you need the Astaro Security Gateway. I've got a 120 right here, and I just love it. It's great for small or medium business. Call Astaro for a free trial in your business of the Astaro Security Gateway appliance. It's astaro.com or call 877, the number 4, A-S-T-A-R-O. And if you're non-commercial, if you're non-business, you know you can download this software. It's open source. Use it. You can even, I think it's, it's something like 79 euros a year, subscribe to the other features and get all the benefits. It's just a remarkable product. ASTARO.com. Thanks so much for supporting Security Now. You can find more about this, including a transcript, uh, both of uh, Dave's uh, questions and answers and of Steve's responses on Steve's website, GRC.com. Elaine does transcripts for us. We have 16 kilobit versions for those of you who don't want to download the big file. Uh, and comments, and that's where you can ask questions of Steve uh, for our Q&A segments. And, yep. of course, where you can find Shields Up, Securable, Shoot the Messenger, Decombobulator, and all of his great security programs, and the best disk recovery and maintenance utility ever written, ever will be written, Spinrite, S-P-I-N-R-I-T-E. Read some great testimonials at spinrite.info. You, you have very, you are beloved by your customers. That kind of, must be a nice feeling. I think, you know, what I like about it is that, you know, anyone who's publishing software is saying, hey, you know, ours is the best this or the best that. And, you know, there's nothing better, I think, and and more more true and persuasive than actual users reporting, you know, how they were able to use the product. And so in our in our case, in Spinrite's case, I mean, since it is, you know, it's not just giving them larger fonts or 
or you know changing the clarity of their resolution or whatever it's doing. I mean, it's like you know really coming to their rescue and aid all the time. Um, it makes for some some really great reading. It's just great. I I uh, I am so glad that uh, you wrote Spinrite. I've used it and it's saved my bacon many times. And uh, I hope others will check it out at grc.com. We're going to be back uh, next week for yet another thrilling, gripping edition. We're actually going to talk about data execution prevention next week. Right. I, I still believe, I continue to believe, there is probably no single more important thing people could use than preventing buffer overflows since, I mean, the... I mean, we, we're talking about it all the time. The security industry is talking about it all the time. This is the way remote hackers are able to send something into someone's computer and es- essentially find a vulnerability to exploit and run their own code. With Service Pack 2 of XP and, and ever since, and of course in Vista as well, there is this data execution prevention support, which requires hardware to be able to, um, in order to to essentially turn this on, the reason I wrote Securable was to let people know if they had DEP support in their hardware, as anyone who's purchased a processor for about the last two years will, although, unfortunately, Microsoft has it defaulted to off in most cases. They're for only compatibility, of course. E- exactly, yeah. for backward compatibility. So, you know, they don't want to suddenly have Windows not working but unfortunately, what it really means is that Windows is much less secure than it could be. Next week, we're going to talk about that some more and uh, and go over it in a little more detail. Great. That should be fun. We'll see you next week. I'm Leo Laporte for Steve Gibson. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next Thursday for another Security Now. <laughs>